Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That is... Is Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. Happy holidays to you and yours. Uh, we hope that this big, fun edition of the mailbag finds you in a place where maybe you're, you know, on a plane and you just want to throw in those headphones and uh, and, and knock out some time that's going to take you somewhere. Maybe you're in the car. Maybe, just maybe, your own children are listening to this very podcast so that they can uh, learn more about the college football world. And and if you are, then children, uh, remember that the sun powers the wind, and when the wind is going 17 to 19 mile an hour crosswinds, we always take the under. And you can that's a life lesson that you can have for the rest of your life. Gentlemen, how are we feeling? Good. Feeling great. Feeling- I mean, this is this is a absolutely um, limited prep. These these questions are coming at us just purely off the cuff and so uh we'll see what we can do with them <laughs> for some of us <laughs> i've studied them for days some some somebody's got to write these into the uh into the doc and okay so it's as true. always as as a reminder to you the listener who is taking this in now we're going to be going back to the mailbag now, throughout January and February, a, a regular feature of the show that started near the back half of this season, and we got just really, really positive, interesting, and fun questions. I thought it led to a lot of good discussion here on the podcast, so there's no reason to uh, to slow that down just because the games are done. We are going to be uh, going into that mailbag, so the way that you get your question for a mailbag into us is you go and you leave a five-star review uh, you can include in that some an actual review, thoughts on the show, things you like, things you'd like to see, and then also be sure to clarify uh, what your question is for the mailbag that will get added to the big old bag of mail. So we will begin um, with a with a couple of coaching questions. This one asked by Barnaby Strangeneck. While the trend in NCAA football is the head coach as CEO, who would you consider the two or three best X's and O's head coaches? Talent on both sides of the field being equal, who would your head coach be for one game, winner takes all? So the exit, let's start with the the X's and O's coaches. When when you're asked, uh, when we do our coach rankings in the offseason, or, or when you're asked just by a fan, a friend, someone else within the industry the, to try and identify the coaches that you believe are plus value X's and O's decided schematic advantage coaches, who are some of those guys that come to mind? Hmm. So that, that's a hard question. So. It's a tricky question to answer because, like, I think, are you talking about? I mean, yes, like Lincoln Riley would be the first name that comes to mind as his, as mm-hmm. a value add coach X's and O's because his offense is always going to score points. But I think, in some ways, like an X's and O's coach at, from the head coaching chair has to be somebody that can create a game plan or has an in-game coaching ability to add value on both sides of the ball to create a game plan to to sort of talk to your offensive coordinator talk to your defensive coordinator and have those two philosophies going into the game match up and complement each other 
and ultimately our goal is to win the game. And so, honestly, when I think about that, it's it's not, I mean, it's sort of obvious, but Nick Saban does that really well, you know? Yeah. D- Dabo Sweeney does that really well. Dabo Sweeney's never been a coordinator, but Dabo Sweeney at Clemson, like, think about when they go into the playoffs. How like they have fantastic game plans both sides of the ball, and that's that is based on having good offensive coordinators, good defensive coordinators, but it's also based on him being able to manage the game from the head coaching position in a really effective way. Um, I think Dan Mullen is a really good in-game coach, not only in having his offense prepared in a in a really effective way and, and, and finding the mismatches and finding the schematic advantages there. But again, playing to give his defense a chance also. Um, so those are three that come to mind off the top of my head. Yeah. I mean, I think that like with Saban in particular, obviously he's got a team that's, you know, He's got plenty of talent. He does all the recruiting, but it's like if you look at most of like the coverages that teams are running defensively now to stop these passing attacks, or at least the philosophies, like there's been, you know, quote unquote mutations of them and things have evolved, but they're all kind of evolving from what he was doing with his coverage in the secondary. And that's where so it's like every defense you see out there right now pretty much is playing some variation of what Saban started with his secondaries to combat these passing attacks and i think so from an x's and o's point yeah you still have to consider say but i think lincoln riley obviously offensively is a little bit ahead of a lot of coaches and what he's been able to do with the different types because it's not just that oklahoma has been successful it's that he's kind of had different kinds of quarterbacks doing it where you know baker he had great success with and then kyler comes in who's got you know, he doesn't quite have the arm that Baker does, although he has a good arm, but he's also more mobile, so they bring that into it. And then you get Jalen Hurts, who isn't really a great passer, but brings a whole other power running element to it, and he adapts to that. So I think that Lincoln Riley not just is smart as far as how to scheme an offense, but is very smart in being able to scheme his offense to what he has available to it. And then other coaches, I mean, I think... I. I've got two that Dan I'll, Mullen, I think, deserves a lot yeah, of credit for what he's been able yes. to do. I mean, because at Mississippi State, he didn't always have the most talent offensively, but they've always had pretty good offenses. And even now at Florida, I don't feel like Florida... I, like, the talk was when Mullen took over, it's like, oh, well, it's going to take him some time because Jim McElwain didn't really recruit all that well and the coverage got blah, blah, blah. Yeah, no, he's just stepped right in and things have been going pretty smoothly. So... I think that's the name that comes to mind, and it's, I don't know, there's a lot of really good X's and O's coaches out there. Well, I got another one. Well, uh, is it Ryan Day? Well, I mean, he certainly is one, but that one who I was going to say, I was going to say Matt Rule. Yeah. I, mean, I, I think Matt, because like, again, shout out being the generalist in the world of specialists. Matt Rule, most people, you ask normal fan on the street, like, I guess, engaged fan on the street what a head coach is. Is he an offensive guy? Is he a defensive guy? Most people probably tell you. Um, most people can't tell you on Matt Rule. And and it's not even because they don't know. It's because I don't think there's a real answer. You know, Matt Rule started his career as a defensive coach. Um, he played linebacker in college. He coached defensive line at UCLA and uh, linebackers at Western Carolina. Started his career at uh, coaching D-line at Temple. And then he switched to offense, and he became an offensive coordinator at Temple. He was an offensive line coach for the Giants for a year. Um, he and so he has he is the type of coach. Again, it's about to me. It's about you know because because these days everyone like it's all about where like how many yards per game is my offense put up in the national rankings and what you know what can I put on my resume? And I think a lot of times it gets you overshadow or you for, you sort of lose sight of what's important and, and winning is important. And so Matt Rule at, at Baylor, they can win 19 to 16, they can win 7 to 3, they can win 45 to to 42. 
You know, like they, he can win the way he has to, needs to win. And um, look, the best coach in, in, in the game of football ever is Bill Belichick. What does Bill Belichick coach? He coaches everything. Like he knows what everyone does on the field. And so I think if you're really talking about from the head coaching chair, who are the best X's and O's coaches, to me it's not about like, you know, what whose unit is the most productive and who can draw up the best plays. It's about who understands the totality of game plan and and putting it all together. I think Matt Rule does. Uh, this is not a coach that fits that description, Barton. But if we're just talking about X's and O's from like who of the head coaches do I think is going to sit there and and have this like on the chalkboard figured out, this might only be one side of the ball and it is not marriaging. It is not a marriage of, of both sides of the ball. But I think that if we're talking about head coaches, you got to have Gary Patterson on there for what he's able to do defensively from a schematic standpoint. Sure. But yeah, again, if you're talking yeah, if you're talking purely, you know, defensive football, absolutely. That guy knows how to draw it up uh, as good as any of them. So thank you Barnaby for your uh for your question here. We're going to let's see. Let's do this. Question from Connor. And Connor, and this is uh talking about players and uh the this this sort of player experience in, in modern times. How will more and more players taking online classes change the college football landscape? Has the change already happened with players like Fields and Burrow, just the ones we know about? Are schools that emphasize academics or don't have the resources to offer online programs going to have another hurdle to overcome in recruiting and player development? Now, the for the beginning, I think, is that the online classes have been there and, and they've been there as an option. So for the, the start of the conversation, you know, I, I wonder, cause this has gotten a lot of attention. Joe Burrow, he went to the student section at the end of LSU's last home game and he wanted to soak it all in, in front of the students. And after the game, it, it made a, a few headlines or at least a few ripples when he mentioned, you know, well, I never get to see them. And that does lead to an interesting discussion of, you know, what is the a, a star college football player? Because if you've got a notion that that college football that the college football player is wearing his letter jacket and hanging hanging around in the quad, and he's going down to the brickyard and he's high fiving all the students in the the lunch line, I I don't think that that is representative of the the current experience of a modern college football player especially at one of these blue blood programs and some of that goes into the facilities and some of that some of making the facilities great is built into giving these players every reason to want to try and and just hang around the building all the time and the online classes part of this particularly for players that are just you know graduate they are coming in transferring in from another program it is a good way for them to be able to very, very quickly uh, get, get some courses, get some credits under their belt uh, without having to, to overly stress the number of places that they can be at one time. I, uh, I, I believe, and I could be wrong, but I believe that this change has already happened and that the online classes have always existed. I don't think it's a hurdle that any other uh, programs need to overcome, but I do think it is a shift from a lot of the romantic notion of a college football player on campus. And uh, I don't know when the shift was made, but it is absolutely a part of the experience. So I'd, I I don't know if uh, this is as much of a growing trend as much as it is a realization of what it's like for a lot of these guys now. I took an online class 15 years ago. I don't think it's... I mean, yeah, I... In college or out of college? I, I was done with college, but it was a college course that I took. You're just seeking knowledge. Yeah. But, I mean, I think obviously the longer – the it's going to become more prevalent, but I don't think this is a new phenomenon. I don't think that Joe Burrow and Justin Fields are the first college football players to be taking most of their classes online. I think this has been happening for – a few years and I maybe maybe I'm naive and I guess yeah like you were saying Chip it kind of changes the quote-unquote college experience or what you know we we vision the college experience of being but I don't know how much of an impact it's ever going to have on anything yeah and and I, again like I think 
the idea that it is abnormal or some sort of jock. Um, I took two online classes while I was a full-time student uh, yeah. at Carolina. Yeah, and that was a long time ago. Yeah, and they were fake classes that he got credit for because it was North Carolina. Right, exactly. I, I was going to say, football players have been taking independent studies for a long time. <laughs> um, but if like if you're worried about the, you know, I mean, Stanford, who's like, high, I don't know if Stanford, I, I assume Stanford has online classes too, but if somehow that's being spun as, well, they're not going to be able to get guys because they don't offer uh, a online class. I mean, you're not going to Stanford to duck academics. The guys that are choosing Stanford over the Alabamas or Ohio State are going because they're going to have, uh, you know, the academic experience that Stanford provides. So, I don't, I don't really see this as a, as a thing, personally. Though I don't know. Like I'm not. I'm. I don't know enough about the current, you know, academic environment at these programs. But it strikes me as probably par for the course i i think that it is um it is an unfortunate disservice to the players and only because it is not robbing that's a little bit violent but it is removing the opportunity to interact with people from around the state or around the country or around the world you know wherever you are going to school you, you're not going to have, uh, if, if you're loading up on online classes, then that is, you know, one less non-football person for you to interact with. And in my, I, I think that there is some value to the, the college experience of just having to meet other human beings that you didn't necessarily choose to, to meet. And that's, you know, like, uh, Bamani Jones joked, he was like, well, Joe Burrow's got it all wrong. If I was the star quarterback, I'd I'd be all over the quad, you know, like it. You've you've got opportunities to just be out here being the man at LSU, but the the fact of not being able to have those just conversations and interactions and, and human contact with people outside of the program, I I think that's a missed part of the opportunity because while the notion of amateurism and the value of the student athlete experience and whether players should be compensated all continue to be hotly debated issues on uh, lots of different levels. You know, when they're trying to sell the student athlete experience, I think that the student experience at the collegiate level, not just the student athlete, but the student experience involves meeting lots of different people and, and being in some of those settings. And, and if you're not going to have that, then that's just like one less piece of value, in my opinion, to uh, to be in to get in that full enrollment. So, but I mean, as far as the Joe Burrow case, he was a grad transfer. Oh yeah, he already had his degree, this, so this, it's not this like a he was going decision for him. Yeah, he went to LSU to do football. He's not at LSU to meet fellow students. Yeah, very very true. That is uh the he he's already had the whatever he had that he already had that but the uh it'll it'll be interesting to see if that continues but I, yeah and i think that's a fair point too like but i do think if you're if if you are to chip's point if you are um you know starting outside linebacker or second team outside linebacker uh who has a very outside shot at playing in the nfl but is you know that's a goal and whatever then I think you're robbing yourself of the, you know, of, of, of sort of the enrichment of being around the, the student population uh, in, in a more engaged way. But if you are Justin Fields and you're going to Ohio State, I mean, it is it is all about preparing yourself for the NFL. You're going to the NFL. You're going to be a first round draft pick, and it's it's, it's okay if you're going to make a choice of I'm going to focus all my attention on being efficient in my time and and preparing myself the best I can for that million dollar payday that's coming up because I'm not going to knock the the kid that's building Facebook for spending all his time, you know, working mm -hmm. on his his software programming as well. Yeah, cuz like what what if you're going to med school or whatever or you're going to school pre-med school to be, you know, to get into med school, are you 
you're probably taking a lot of online courses and not interacting with your fellow students as much as you're just focusing on doing what you have to do to get into med school so you can become a doctor or whatever the hell you wanted to become. So just because it's football doesn't mean that it's really any different from anything a lot of other students in all sorts of other fields are doing. Not everybody is in college to have the quote unquote college experience. A lot of them are just there to get their degree so they can have the life that they want. No doubt. All right. Let's, uh, Let's take things to let's take things to Austin. Bevo UT asks, thoughts on Tom Herman? Do you see his future as more likely to be a Dabo Sweeney where the best is yet to come? Never forget, man, they were not happy with Dabo Sweeney after he lost to USF in the Belk Bowl. I guess it would have been the Meineke Car Care or the Continental Tire Bowl. But uh do you see his future more likely to be a Dabo Sweeney where the best is yet to come? Or do you view him as more of a Lane Kiffin at USC being left out on the tarmac? Thoughts on Lane? I'm going to I'm gonna go ahead and I'll, I'll cast my ballot to, to get this thing started. I don't think Tom Herman at Texas is Dabo Sweeney. Now, do I think it is going to have the same path as Lane Kiffin? I think that's yet to be determined. I don't know if Tom Herman is going to end up in a group of five head coaching job or, or how long that this is going to last with Texas. But if the Dabo Sweeney path includes national championship contention, uh, man, he's going to have to weather a lot of storms to be able to get through that. And so far, what we've seen from the Tom Herman experience suggests that uh, the patience might wear thin on a lot of different sides. And so I'm, I'm going to say Tom Herman is a, uh, not likely to be a Dabo Sweeney. I, I think it's, yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's going to be neither. I think he's going to be at Texas for a long time. And I think he's going to taste success. And I think he's going to have some rough years. I think there's going to be, for a coach that has some success, I think he's also going to have some volatility with his regime. Did you guys see him double bird Longhorn Network? Oh, yeah. Uh, signing yes. day? Yeah. Yeah. If anybody missed it, he was sitting there in the the war room on signing day, and I guess he didn't know the cameras were on him live, and he looked at the Longhorn Network cameras in his war room and and threw up the double birds at him and then claimed he was telling some story about the Cotton Bowl, which is uh, which, which no one's buying. I'm not buying. Um, and so that's just sort of like there's just a – he's just kind of puerile. Like he's just sort of this very – it feels immature in a lot of the, the ways that he approaches um, a lot of things. Oh, the but Drew also, the Drew Locke taunting from the that like was ridiculous. The beginning. Like I'll never like I, that, that that will always be on his resume, and it, it's there's going to be times when I think his team really rallies around that. There's going to be times when his recruiting allows them to be really successful, and he he knows football too, and so. He, I mean, they're going to have some really high points in his tenure. I just think it's not going to be – I don't. I have a hard time seeing it have the stability of a, of a Dabo Sweeney or, or any of the greats. But I also think it's, it's not going to have – I think it's more likely it's Lane Kiffin than, than Dabo Sweeney, but I also think it's, it's going to fall somewhere in the middle, and he has a lot of success with a few valleys mixed in as well. First of all, is this the first college football podcast to drop puerile on somebody? I am positive. <laughs> Our little Yale boy over here talking about puerile. I was that's, like, whoa, I know what that word means, but I never use it. First, I think that's maybe the first time I've used that since Latin class in high school. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, I don't, I think that, I think Tom probably ends up falling somewhere in the middle of Dabo and Lane, but I do think he's got a lot of Lane-like tendencies, yes. Tom Herman will... Tom Herman will all... Like Lane Kiffin, is probably going to be in our lives for a long time. Right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And it'll be... He's not somebody that you're going to be like halfway on. It will always be strong feelings. Mm. What? Got, it looks like uh, Mike... like he, Mike Yursich is who they've now, as, as of this recording, are targeting, it, it sounds like, based on a few reports, for their offensive coordinator position. That would be a strong hire, uh, pulling him away from Ohio State. Uh, but that's, I mean, it appears 
he he needs a and he's a hand it off. I mean, uh, this Texas job's a big deal. It's a big gig for a head coach, and uh, you know I think he's been trying to multitask a little bit much too much at offensive coordinator, and uh, I think he needs a hand it off. So if you can find Mike Yurcich, that that'd be a good one. Yeah, like Texas needs him to be more of a Dabo Swinney type than a hands-on type. Yeah. I think that there's a... We're here with Coach Mike Yurcich. He's the offense. There is a video uh, where Mike Yurcich is explaining his offense using Legos on YouTube. If you ever want to go check it out. It's called the Christopher Field interview with Mike Yurcich. And it was when uh, he was the offensive coordinator at Shippensburg University. So how's that for a little bit of homework? Should be nice. fun. <laughs> I just Chip's, I'm, Chip's got a column coming on it. Yeah, <laughs> I, you can't hire a coach who uses Legos. <laughs> that's, uh, that's puerile. <laughs> <laughs> okay, has anybody? This is uh, nickname O five one four asks. Has anybody seen Barton and Sturgill Simpson in the same place <laughs> at the same time? To which Barton, I love your latest album, by the way. Yeah, I. I got to say that as a, a Nashville native and a Nashville resident, I'm guessing this isn't the first time that you've, uh, you've caught this doppelganger thought. It's not. And I'm not, I'm, I've, I've heard his music before. I, I like it, but I'm not, a. I don't, I don't, I've not downloaded any of his albums. He's not on my, I don't, I don't toss him on Spotify when I turn it on. So I'm not super familiar with them. In fact, so much so that like I the first like the first time I ever heard his name was when someone was like, "You like Sturgis Simpson?" I was like, "I don't know who Sturgis Simpson is," but thanks. Which or, just or, made them think it was you. <laughs> like, oh, that's exactly what he would say. Right. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I'll take it. I've had, I've had a few different doppelgangers through the years. Um, in college, it was Jay Moore. People thought I looked like Jay Moore, um, and I think that guy's kind of fallen off to the point where. The, Sturgill Simpson is probably the more well-known of the two at this point. So give me Sturgill. Okay. So I know that you have uh, allegedly, well, I don't know anything, but allegedly you may or may not have either been mistaken for slash impersonated a Nashville predator. Have you, <laughs> have you ever thought of using this Sturgill Simpson lookalike to your advantage either to uh, obtain, you know, uh, early entry into a, a crowded establishment. But I, feel like I feel like if you know who Sturgill, if you know Sturgill Simpson's music, you would also know what he looks like. No, or, I mean you would know what he looks like, but that's the thing. Like you see people on TV or online, and then you actually meet them in person, and it's like sometimes it's hard to like. Oh, okay. So do you think I can pull it off? Yeah, I think you could if the bar was dark enough for sure. All right, well maybe I'll try that because the predators, the predators play was much more of like this was probably this was a little bit before the predators had gotten really hot and was were really popular. And everyone knew them. It was just sort of everyone liked the predators, but no one really knew who the predators were. <laughs> and so if you're walking around downtown and you had long hair, people would be like. Do you play hockey? I'd be like, yeah, I play for the Predators, and they'd be like, awesome. Can I get a picture? And but then, you'd say it with an accent. Yeah, yeah, I play it. for Predators. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the story goes: I took a, one picture, and uh, this girl was so excited she got a picture with a predator that she showed one of her buddies, and uh, and it was a picture of me, and that guy happened to be one of my good friends. He's like, oh my god, that's Barton, idiot. <laughs> Yeah, that's not a predator. Spartan. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you can try out uh, Sturgill Simpson. I mean, I'm telling you, around Nashville, you think that they're going to be so keen, they're not going to be prepared for it. But uh, I, I think that you could do it. Like, uh, so, sir, it's going to be a 45 minute wait. Uh, what's your name? Simpson. Because <laughs> then you can. Simpson, he does. Like, he does sort of have a personality where he like tries to fly under the radar and just like wear you know, like no posse around them. And, you know, he's sort of the anti, anti, uh, celebrity guy. Probably. Just, just make the host or hostess think, make them Google a photo and hold right. it up. <laughs> just see if you can <laughs> just, yeah. see if you can pull this one off. That's just, a good call. All right. No, you call the restaurant. You're like, I'd like to make a reservation for a Sturgill S I mean, S Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> then when you show up, it's like, well, it really is. Yeah. Take them to the booth. Let's go. 
like it. All right, deal. All um, right, let's play this game because Nittany Lion Fan Seven is uh, this. This question came in again. We all we got this big old bag of mail. We are we are going through and we are pulling them. This came in before the end of the regular season, so it's not totally bitter, though it certainly felt bitter at the time. Uh, do you think? that Penn State would be in the playoffs if they had Clemson's schedule. Very, very classic college football fan position. My team is good. If we only had a schedule as easy as that other team's, then we would have gotten all of the glory that is deserved to us, the team that is the best. Uh, we just happened to get screwed. Like, what, what happened? Oh, it was all politics, right? So Penn State, Clemson's schedule, I want to play this game. We're going to go game by game. We'll, we'll see uh, if, if they end up, I guess the question was the playoffs. Would they make the playoffs if they had Clemson's schedule? Okay. Uh, Penn State against Georgia Tech. Win. Win. Penn State against Texas A&M. At home, right? At home. Win. Probably a win, yeah. I don't think it's, I don't think it's as much of a sure thing, but yeah, probably. Penn State at Syracuse. Win. Win. Penn State against the Charlotte 49ers. Win. Oh, that's that's a real close one. Yeah, no win. Penn, Penn State goes into the 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 teeth of the ACC, the impossible home field advantage of the baby blue Keenan Memorial Stadium to take on North Carolina. Does Penn State come out with with the win? Well, they had this game. Uh, I guess this was Pitt. They played at home. So they barely survived Pitt, uh, but I'll, we'll we'll say they win. Hey, I mean you you called it right. North Carolina and Pitt, basically the same team. Both went four and four in ACC play. Pitt seven and five. North Carolina six and six. So we'll say it's a win. Florida State at home. Win. Louisville on the road. Loss. How much of that is Louisville? How much of that is Penn State? I here, I we're gonna play the game. No, I don't think Penn State goes undefeated with the schedule. Yeah, it just here, don't. The, so here's yeah, here's where it is with me. You can you can rattle off all the games, and I'm gonna say win on every one. But then when you circle back and you look at the schedule as a whole, I'm gonna say they lose some. Like they're, I would pick, I would, I would pick them in all those games individually and yet i would pick them to lose at least one of those games somewhere along the way mm-hmm. i mean it beat it, it it lost to minnesota it's it beat indiana by seven it beat iowa by five it beat Pitt by seven it's beat you know i mean like it's not like michigan state is rolling everyone but ohio state and slipped up once against minnesota so I don't care who you are. It is hard to go undefeated in a Power Five schedule. Yeah, because I mean, let's let's look at the teams that are in the playoff: Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Jalen Hurts, and Joe Burrow. Sean, Sean, Clifford. Sean Clifford fits into that group perfectly. Yeah, no, he's losing at least one of those games. Uh, Boston College at home win. Yeah, Wofford. So. I'm going to put it this way. I'm going to look at the schedule. I, I'm going to tell you that had had Penn State had the Clemson schedule, they would have lost to either. I think A&M. Could have been North Carolina. Could have been A&M. Could be could South Carolina. Louisville. Louisville. Could have been South Carolina. Yeah. Could have been South Carolina. They're losing one of those four games, and then they don't have the resume to get in. I'll tell you what. I mean, it is like when you look at the schedule, it is part. But but the difference also is, I mean, the, yeah, the schedule, it is, it is hard to envision Penn State losing to anyone on the schedule. I agree. But also, that like, it's... That's that's they're, almost they're also misrem- wouldn't, they that's, also wouldn't blow this schedule out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's also uh, so that is it starts with the conversation that is being proposed starts with the idea that Penn State had everything great this year except for the schedule, and I don't think that's the case. I don't think that the product on the field 
even in wins suggests that Penn State was one of the four best teams. That Because the argument seems to suggest that we would be one of the four best teams if we just had to play different teams, and I am not positive that's the case. And dear listener, take as much stock as you want into this as you feel. But in my strength of schedule metrics that I use in my ratings, which are based on nothing but how teams have performed in the current year, Penn State has played the 15th most difficult schedule in the country. Clemson's is the 37th. So it's not like Clemson just played a bunch of FCS teams. And also, when I look at the metrics that I use, which again are just based on how you performed against teams based on how they rate this year, Clemson is so much better than Penn State in those metrics. Well, yeah, because that's the other point. And and this is, I think, the bigger point for me is that who cares? Like, unless the person that asked that question, what's our guy's name? Um, Nittany Lion Fan 7. Then the line fan seven. Then the line fan seven. Unless you think that Penn State is actually better than Clemson and thus should be in the playoffs if they only had Clemson's schedule, then I think it's a it's an unnecessary point to even discuss. Because what I like what bothers me is this whole like I've talked about this about scheduling too. Like we, we shouldn't be sitting here talking about gaming our way into the playoffs. We should be talking about who are the best four teams. And I don't think anyone thinks Penn State is one of the best four teams. And so if Penn State went undefeated in that schedule and Clemson's schedule, they'd be in the playoffs. Yes, congratulations. And then you would get Jake Browning, Washington. And you'd be the four seed. <laughs> you, you, you would, uh, you know, it's like you're just not – you lost what, – what, what was the uh, – you lost to Ohio State 28-17, and you, were, and you were fortunate it was that close. And so you're not one of the top four teams. So it really doesn't matter. Coming up on the other side, more of your questions and our answers next. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. All right, we got a couple Big Ten coaching related questions coming up in a little bit, but let's uh let's let's go let's go with another hypothetical. All right. The question from CJ Cager. If we had a time machine and brought college age Chip Barton and Tom into the podcast. What takes would they have about the current state of college football? What types of locks would they be taking? What football arguments would they have with their current selves? And most importantly, would y'all still be friends? <laughs> Who says we're friends now? Right. This is a contentious podcast. It's all the time. Just texting each other angrily all the time. <laughs> God, we got to go on another podcast with these guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. Who wants to take this first? Oh, I'd, I would be having – I'd be taking too many overs. That would be uh, the first place that I, – I would be afraid that my locks would be misguided and uh, and definitely uh, following the public. What's, what's the old betting term? Uh, trendy underdogs got fleas. Yeah, I'd <laughs> – I'd be needing I'd be needing all the flea medication for all those trendy underdogs that I would talk myself into. Um, and those would be the type of locks that I would have. And I think that in terms of takes about the current state of college football, I I probably at college age was way more excited and enticed by the idea of playoff expansion than I am right now because I'm I'm a leave it at four position. And when I listen to the arguments for some people that are asking for an expansion to eight teams, I'm, I'm like, wow, that really, that really sounds like, uh, that, that sounds like the position of someone that just likes to play fantasy sports or just, just wants to see a big bracket or wants to see a Cinderella. And now where I am, I, I don't want to see that. So, uh, that's probably the biggest, um, you know, me then versus me now when it comes to college football. I think as far as my takes are concerned, they would probably be the most basic public ass 
takes possible because, I mean, ironically, when I was in college was probably the time I spent paying the least amount of attention to college football. I, I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't really, you know, on Saturdays when I was in high school or afterwards, you know, I'd stay home and I would watch college football. Saturdays in college, I was out, you know, at bars, partying, doing all that kind of stuff or doing, sometimes doing homework. So I, I didn't really keep as close tabs on it. I was in Champaign in Illinois, I went to the Sugar Bowl that one year. So, I mean, obviously the Big Ten is awesome and the SEC sucks. It's so overrated. Why are they always talking about the SEC? This LSU team hasn't played anybody. Illinois is going to kill them. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm the same way. I mean, I, I was a very much a contrarian in college, just sort of, sort of looking for arguments with my buddies. And, and, and uh, there was three of us that went up there together on the same uh, from the same high school. And so we always sort of joined arms and like argued against the the others against it for whatever the, the the topic was. I don't want to sort of reveal my biases at the time because I don't want it to get clipped and then spun into this somehow. This is you know how you know I'm, I'm a favorite of this team for the rankings or whatever. But um, we had our you know we had our fair share of of arguments against the the, the national roster uh, on our team and. Uh, so it was, but I'm, I'm like Tom, like I was, I didn't really, I didn't really know anything. I was just, we played football on Saturday, Saturday afternoon. Then we would pre-party uh, Saturday evening and then we go out. And so mixed in there somewhere, I'd have sort of happy watching a game. And so unless it had to do with Ivy League football, I didn't have much, much of a, uh, an educated opinion. I probably had the most uh, national college football interest among my circle of friends, but even then, we're at uh, we're in Chapel Hill, and it's like a you know we there was a a championship that had just been won. Hi Tom, and uh, another championship that was coming up my senior year, and on the lead up to that, those Tar Heel teams went to the Elite Eight and the Final Four, so. It was a uh, it was definitely a basketball a basketball first social experience, but I and a few other uh, degenerates from my, my circle of friends were we're all we're all pretty dialed into the the moving and shaking of the national scene. But again, it was all just very public. Like uh, my information came on college game day, kind of public ass information, you know. Yeah, and I didn't really gamble much while I was in college either because. I was very much on my own <laughs> and the money that I did have to spend was typically spent at the bars and whatnot. So I didn't really have a ton of, I didn't do a whole lot of gambling while I was in school. So yeah, other, other than our uh, gambling on simulated PlayStation games, I didn't, right. I didn't gamble in college either. Wait, did y'all, I thought that y'all had set the lines and then sim it, right? Right, right. Yeah. That was the only gambling I did. Unbelievable! I love that. Oh, and uh, and would we all be friends? Yeah, probably. I think we would be friends. Me I think and Barton would be arguing a lot. <laughs> yes, because yeah, we're very similar in that kind of approach. Right. Oh, is that what you think? Well, let me tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, we would. Uh, yeah, I think that would be what would happen. We would all be friends. Tom and I would argue a lot, and Chip would mediate, and and then like kind of spur us on and be like. Hey, you sure? Sure about that, Barton? <laughs> sure about that, Tom? We would we would become friends because uh, because I would have been running my mouth about one of your teammates, Barton, and you would have had to like come track me down to beat me up and show me who's who and what's what. But I would have talked my way out of it very smoothly. And then we'd leave like 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 arm in arm. Yeah, like drinking together. No, 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 no. I'm I'm just saying, coaches aren't making the most of them. You know. It's the coaches. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, you're cool. You're cool, man. You're cool. You're cool. Uh, that may or may not have happened uh, in Chapel Hill. <laughs> uh, all right, let's uh, let's let's go to some some coaches. Um, let me let's do Paul Christ first. The question from Badger Zach: 
Is Paul Christ in a similar situation to Jim Harbaugh in terms of ball, ball security, <laughs> in terms of job security? As in, he will never be fired as there is no, quote, better option to upgrade. Coach Christ routinely not included in the top 10 to 20 list of coaches, yet he consistently produces top 10 to 20 results each year. What do you guys think is the reason behind this? Personally, I believe he has the program running just about at our ceiling without an improvement in recruiting classes, which if it were to happen would make him a top coach in my opinion. That's pretty accurate. Yeah. I think he's, I think he is a top coach. I think it's less the Wisconsin question is more about Wisconsin ceiling than it is Paul Chris ceiling. And, and I think that the Wisconsin ceiling is like, I think Paul Chris keeps hitting his head on it, which is pretty good. I think if you I mean, they're perennially, in contention for 10 wins with Paul Christ. And I think that's a good life. That's an enjoyable life to have. Yeah. And as he mentioned, like the coach rankings, how Christ is never really ranked in the top our top 25s or whatever. I think part of that is likely because, you know, Barry Alvarez had Wisconsin at that level. Then Brett Bielema had Wisconsin at that level. And while Gary Anderson things dipped off, Chris has come in and brought it back to that level where it already was. So in a way, I think that works against him in that people are like, well, yeah, he's doing the same thing that others have done. So people start to think it's more of the program that's in place than the coach running it. Also, who cares? <laughs> I mean, the coach ranking activity that we do every single year, and you should definitely read it on cbsports.com and listen to the podcast that we're going to have breaking down our ballots. Who cares? If if your coach is delivering consistent winning, then just, just let him be overlooked by writers who have to fill out ballots who are going to be really excited and want to take some swings and, and and want to maybe boost up someone who's shown a bunch of breakthroughs recently. That's, that is a okay. As long as that Paul Christ doesn't drop below 30, like as long as he, he is not starting to be considered a bottom half of the power five coaching rank conversation. And I just don't think that the results have, shaped up such that anybody without um, trying to is going to end up getting to the 30th best power five coach and not include Paul Christ. It's, it is as you're filling out your ballot uh, a little bit difficult to throw them up there in the top 10 because of what Tom said, but I don't know anybody who's trying to say that Paul Christ through all the you know, you know all the consistency that's been there with that Wisconsin program, he's still had some staff changes that he's had to navigate. He's still had uh, some some tough seasons where they've suffered a bunch of injuries, where they've kind of had to restyle some things. He's had some personnel issues. Like I I I think that Paul Christ absolutely among the Power Five ranks is value added coach and the fact that it's at Wisconsin, a place that he knows through and through for Barry Alvarez uh, only enhances what he's able to do for that program's overall health. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Got to start beating Illinois though, Paul. Ooh. (laughs) Uh, Scott Frost in the Iowa Nebraska post game blamed his, Oh, this question is from Alex S. Scott Frost in the Iowa-Nebraska postgame blamed his players' lack of confidence in the loss, among other things. What do you think about Frost shedding blame? Relate, uh, then the, a big old set of questions. Uh, related, what team was the biggest surprise? What team was the biggest disappointment? What team was the most overrated from the start? I think he wants us to say Nebraska. Uh, and what team was most underrated? So let's let's do the Scott Frost. I think Frost Nebraska's that, the answer to all, all four of those All questions. the questions. Um, that I'm sure we'll tackle some of the uh, – if you want to – throw out some overrated, underrated, surprise, disappointment thoughts. That that sounds like something that we're going to be asked at some point for a superlatives uh, on CBS Sports. Maybe it's already come and gone. But uh, Scott Frost ha- has not uh, only did the, done this after I- Iowa and Nebraska. There have been some other times where his postgame comments did was a little bit of blame deflection. Um, and, you know, he had the comment about wearing the hoodies uh, earlier in the season so I guess, Barton, I'd like you to get first crack at this. We've hinted at on this podcast just a, 
a general unease about the way things are going for Scott Frost, especially given the expectations of the season and the way the Cornhuskers performed on the field. You know, what's what? Where are we at with the uh, with the Frost stock? Well, I, I mean, I'm a little bit torn on this because I probably, if if I am advising Scott Frost, or if I am a head coach, or if I am the consigliere, consigliere, right? Conciliere. Conciliere. I loved the first attempt so much. If I'm the conciliere of a head coach, I'm probably advising him to just give him coach speak. Coach, just give him coach speak. And we'll deal with whatever. But I I really, I'm not going to criticize coaches too much for speaking candidly about what they you know their perception of why they lost or like it's not I mean everyone wants the coach to go up and say we lost because it's on me I gotta have his rep better and yeah I mean that's probably what coaches should say but I appreciate when coaches say you know what we lost because of this or I think that we're not because that's what he's saying in 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 the coaches meeting that's what he's saying when they meet on Sunday morning the next day they're saying guys we got to what was the Scott Frost line? I didn't hear his line. What was the line? It was uh, something about lack of confidence. You know, guys, we got to find a way to get our players more confident. We're not confident enough out there. We're not playing loose. We're not playing fast. We're not confident enough. Like, I'm not going to knock him for saying that uh, it, on the record. And so I like it when coaches, when you see, when they reveal to you what they are thinking. And just, Scott, I think Scott Frost throughout most of his coaching tenure, at UCF and in Nebraska, has been fairly forthcoming with what he is thinking. And unfortunately, at Nebraska, that has been a lot more of response to negatives than the positives that were at UCF. So, um, look, it was uh, – there, there, I mean, there's a reason that teams are losing. There's a reason Nebraska hasn't been that good. Scott Frost is trying to search for it, and, 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 to, and he's – letting us in on some of those efforts to um, to find those answers. Um, should he not? Yeah, maybe, but I'm glad he is. I'm glad he's going to keep on letting us in on what he's thinking. Yeah, I mean, I don't have much more to add, honestly. I thought you could add, Scott Frost is the one that's overrated. <laughs> <I'm> just- <laughs> is Scott Frost trash? No. Big, big 2020 ahead for the Huskers, right? Yeah, I think next year is very important. Very, yeah. very important to uh, to reverse what is a, a little bit of a uh, troubling start to the Nebraska tenure. Okay, all right. Let's go. A kid badly misbehaves and his mom warns, just wait till your father gets home. Which college football coach would be the scariest dad in that scenario? And who would be the least scary? <laughs> Eli Drinkwitz would be the least scary. If, if my mom was like, just wait till your dad gets home, we'd be like, what? So he could read a spreadsheet to me? <laughs> um, scariest. Look, I, I got to be very careful in the way I answer this because I don't want to make any implication. I don't want to imply that I think any of these coaches are abusive fathers. Mm. Okay. That said, I don't believe that, but Kirby smart <laughs> is not, a, is not a dad that I'd want to see after I, you know, colored with markers on the wall. <laughs> I, I think Kirby smart would, you know, he's got a little bit of a, a little bit of a temper on the field. He is all about like that guy's pressers. There's there's not there's not a whole you know some of these coaches even the intense ones even like Will Muschamp sometimes his pressers are kind of you know he shows some personality he's kind of fun like Kirby's just he's just in there to kind of kick ass and uh, I, I'd I'd be a little scared of that guy. See, I'd be scared of Muschamp. Muschamp. Yeah. Muschamp would be... Uh, He's scared of Mario Cristobal, too. Yeah. 
He's kind of got that Kirby kind of thing going. Or like you were referring to, it's like Muschamp, I feel like, is willing to be lighthearted at times. I don't get the sense from Mario that he's spending a whole lot of time cracking jokes. I think that... uh, I don't know about that. I think Mario's got a little fun dad in him. I think Pruitt could come home. I think Jeremy Pruitt might come home and, uh, you know... He's bringing that Georgia State loss home with him? Yeah. 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 Just, you know, no... No apologies for um, for a very I don't know particular discipline. Like I think I just I think he's look, son. You got to be tougher than that. Yeah, we got we got te- we're going to teach you the hard way. I think that after I have colored on the walls with markers, uh, Dad Bronco Mendenhall is going to have me writing sentences and doing wind sprints. I will have to write 10,000 times. I will never color on the wall with markers and also uh, be running gassers in the backyard. I'd be no very That's terrified of the strict, strict standards for uh, Bronco Mendenhall. Yeah, I think like somebody like Orgeron, I feel like maybe you'd think he was scary, Dad, but I uh, think that as a kid, I could very easily get him out of being mad. Yeah, I'd be like Kyle Whittingham more than Orgeron. Yeah, like I think Coach O would be mad at first, but then I would just be adorable, and he'd be like, "Oh, you little scamble, get over here!" That's just boys are being boys. Okay, no, exactly. I think I think Coach <laughs> O comes home, and Mom's got her is pulling out her hair and so frustrated at how you color it on the walls, and Coach O comes home and he's like, "Oh, just, my boys are spirited." Yeah, he, spirited call, he calls you Picasso. Oh. Look, Lil Picasso. <laughs> He's an excitable boy that one. That's all. He, he just got the oh, you go down little gumbo boy that boy. Okay, Eli Drinkwitz has the the least scary. I yes. love I love that jumping off the top. But man, Herm would turn that into forgiveness and love and the message of what we can do with the next day and being better. I think well, I think Herm would yeah. I think Herm would would turn it into he would be firm but fair and it would be packed with a lot of love and forgiveness. Just but, good, just good good fathering. Just my good approach fathering. would be yeah, my my approach with Herm though is different though because it's like it's not scary but it's still like punishment. Because mm. now you've got to sit there and dad's going to calmly and motivatingly tell you what we've got to do to be better whereas with which Daddy Eli, I would just be like, "Oh, screw you!" and I would go to my room. <laughs> yeah, Herm, you just got to be like, "Oh God, I got a, I got a forty-five minute lecture coming my way." But uh, I tell you who I'm, who I, my guy'd be least scared of is uh, is Clay Helton. I'm a Clay Helton comes <laughs> to the door. I'm gonna break out the markers and just like finish finish off <laughs> the, the spots where I didn't feel like I got a job done well enough. Then, I, watch this, Dad. <laughs> I don't. I, oh, I don't even want to say this because I'm afraid it'll be taken the wrong way. <laughs> Clay Helton gives me strong, like stepdad just wants to be your friend vibes. Right. Hey, for for the interim, for the twice interim coach who got promoted to the head job, I don't think that that's uh, that's misguided. Oh, what's that, Clay? You're mad? Yeah, well, I don't care because mom's going to leave you in six months. Anyway. <laughs> Clay Helton, yeah. Clay Helton is, is is stepdad Clay who just wants you to call him dad. And I'm calling him Clay the just whole call me, time. Hey, man, why don't you just call me dad? No, nah, I'm good, Clay. You're not my dad. <laughs> uh, uh, very good question. And we appreciate uh, that question along with all of the fantastic questions. Um, well, got HQ in a little bit. We'll throw this one off. We'll go out of here because the username was my ND as in Notre Dame. My ND roommates are dumb. Notre Dame versus Florida. Who wins their next championship first? Florida. Florida. Yeah. I mean, yeah. right? Barton? Yeah, I think so. Um, because <laughs> I mean, I was still working up to it. I mean, I think I still think ND's ND has MD ND is going to have 
at least one more playoff appearance before Florida even gets in. But when when they get there, when the time time finally comes for Florida to get there, it will be more equipped to win it. I would agree with that. Uh, how you can jump in on the mailbag episodes of the future. Well, in the present, you just go to the Cover 3 College Football Podcast page, leave us a five-star rating, and within your review, include your mailbag question. It will get added to the mailbag. You heard questions from October and November included in this very show, and we will continue to, to charge through them in the future episodes. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Tom Fernell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.